Here comes Luther, our sergeant at arms. When he sits down, I guess we're okay. <laughs> okay, here we go. Great to see you. Glad that you were able to take time out today. Come back and be a part of our Bible study together. There is another class taking place. It's over in the Annex. They are studying the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But next quarter, that class will come into the auditorium here. And then the class that I'm teaching with you, that'll go into the Annex. So if you just stay put wherever you are, the classes are going to eventually make their way to you. Or, you know, maybe you missed a class and you want to catch up or something like that. You can consult with the teacher maybe and, and go catch a class you missed. A lot, of, a lot of options there. But we're hoping that this is going to make it possible for all of us to cover all of the Bible in five years. In addition to some classes that deal with biblical subjects like we're covering on Wednesday evenings. This class is looking at the first five books of the Bible, and we're continuing our study in the book of Leviticus. And my expectation is that you have already read the book or you are in the process of reading the book. My goal is to give an overview to emphasize things that I think are important for you to notice as you read through it. And may, maybe you do two things. Maybe you read through it first, you get this information, you read through it again, and I'll guarantee you, when you do it that way, uh, things will be not just refreshed in your mind, but you'll see more connections doing it that way. So you have a, a good overview of the book. We're going to sing a song before we start, then we'll have a prayer and then begin our study together. Number 288. 288. Fairest Lord Jesus, ruler of all nature, for
amazing things that you can see and experience, but what is greater than every single thing? Jesus! Yes? Yes. All right, let's pray and then we'll begin our study. Father, we thank you so much for the privilege of ascending, uh, assembling here and participating in the singing and prayer and the study of your word. And I pray, Father, that you'll bless us, that we can gather this information, be able to use it and apply it to our own study of your word. Father, your word is just so vast and comprehensive. And as much as we dig into it, we are never able to, to fully mine all the great things that are there. But we thank you for the privilege to possess your word. But I pray, Lord, that it will possess us, that we will reflect your word in so many ways that it will guide our steps. And especially, Lord, as we're going through this book of Leviticus, I pray that you will help us to be a holy people, to strive to be like Jesus, to have him evident in our walk. And forgive us, Lord, when we just, we aren't trying. We're not committing ourselves to that holy walk. And be patient with us, Lord, as we're trying to do our very best to reflect Jesus. Uh, help me to share some really good, important things from the book and uh, help all of us pay as close attention as we can and to benefit from that. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, you know uh, from the other books that this book is named according to the opening verses, actually opening words of the very first book. In this case, it has to do with the calling. God's calling Moses. Moses is going to be directing the people in terms of commandments or instructions. This is coming on the heels of the giving of the law and the setting up of the tabernacle and the plans that God has for leading the people away from Sinai. And right before they begin that journey, which is going to end in some uh, disappointment, uh, right before they do that, here are these instructions that are given in this book. And there are really, really a couple of things that are taking place here. One is it is civil instruction. Here are instructions regarding how to live in the nation. It's becoming a nation. And so in order to be a nation, you've got to have laws governing the nation. So book of Leviticus uh, goes a long way in giving that instruction. This is also a theocracy, which means at least at this point, God is the king. And so not only is it civil dictates, but of course, spiritual. There, there are things that you have to do in order to be in favor with God, to demonstrate your faith and such like. So this book is basically like a manual, a handbook for the nation of Israel. As we go through it, we see a tremendous emphasis upon the necessity of being a holy people. And much of what bears out is just the precision, the detail that is described there of every element of worship and every approach that's made to God. It's very specific because God is a holy God and is expecting that things are going to be done His way. And I mentioned 
also that God is a sovereign God. And as much as you would want to argue and debate decisions that, God's, that God makes, actually that discussion is a futile discussion because God does what he does because he's God. Now, I know that sounds reminiscent of when your kids ask you a question and you say no and they say why and you say because I say so. That doesn't mean you're sovereign, <laughs> but I'm telling you that with God, God always makes a determination based on more than just the immediate circumstances. God has a primary plan that he is working and all of the events that transpire are going to flow in and through God's workings. And so when he makes a decision, it's, it's not something that we question. That's what I like about the book of Job, for instance. Job seems to be clicking along pretty well, and then his world falls apart. And what we discover is that despite his assertions to the contrary, God can do what he wants to do. And the circumstances that you face in life, God's in control of, ultimately. And when they don't turn out like you do and you question God, God comes back and says, what right do you have to question me about that? And he can go into great depth about his providence and his plans and his perfection that we just can't attain to because his thoughts are higher than our thoughts and his ways are higher than our ways. The book of Leviticus in particular reflects that notion of God's greatness. So we began last time talking about the message that you find in the book of Leviticus. And one of the messages that you get is the idea of things being set apart, especially, and you kind of get this from the name, right? Leviticus, uh, as pertains to the Levites, although much of it has to do specifically with the work of Aaron and the priests. When you back up from that, you realize they are part and parcel of the Levites themselves, and there are instructions regarding the whole lot of them. And so a lot that you find regarding the set-apart nature of that particular tribe is reflected in basically two things that I noted with you last time. One was that they were supported as a whole, the Levites as a whole, by the tithes that the rest of the tribes gave. And then a second thing was the cities that were given to them. Actually, you remember how many cities we said were designated for the Levites? There were 48, according to Numbers chapter 35 and verse 7. Now within those 48, remember the other number that we mentioned? From Joshua chapter 21 verse 19 there were actually 13 of those cities that were designated for Aaron and his sons. And of course, the importance of that designation is that those guys were actually the priests themselves. That would go generationally. So those cities were provided, 13 different cities. And all of these cities, 48 of them in total, are dispersed throughout the entire body of Israel, that entire territory. Well, one thing about those guys was that even though some of them were even scoundrels, they're, they're gross sinners, okay, they're humans. But what they represented was holiness to the Lord. So when you saw a Levite or you came across one of those cities, 
Regardless of how you felt about the individual, you were constantly reminded that despite how they are, our God is what? H-O-L-Y. That's right. Our God is holy. So there was, there was a constant reminder of the holiness, the set-apartness of God, and that was kind of embodied in that set-apart group of people, uh, the Levites. Okay? And then, kind of a, I don't know, kind of an interesting thing is that there is, I'm calling it the essence a verse of scripture that is the essence of what this book speaks about. I hope, and I don't know if you jot things down in your Bible or you mark your Bible. Some people are real particular about their Bible. That's fine. But if you are in the practice of noting scriptures, the scripture that is in effect the essence of the book of Leviticus is chapter 11 and verse 45. So if you want to go in your Bible and mark that one, that would be good. Would someone read that text to us? Leviticus 11 and verse 45. I'm the one that led you out of Egypt. Was that a big deal or not? Especially to this generation of people. So God says, in effect, in return, I'm holy, so you be holy. Now, if you happen to glance to the previous verse, you'll see that it says the same thing. There's just a reiteration of the fact that God is a holy God. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, would that even apply to us today? What does that text say? 1 Peter 1, verse 16. You might guess. <laughs> okay, here's what's written, and it's restated here in this text, again with the emphasis upon the importance of the thing. And the thing is, I'm holy, so you be holy. If you're in a relationship with me, holiness is required. You say, well, we're not perfect. But what the book of Leviticus does is it establishes the mechanism, the accommodation that God sets up in order to make activity that's done by those people who follow him faithfully. It makes that representative to God as holiness. And what we're going to find out a little bit later is that what that does for God is calls to mind the sacrifice of his only begotten son, Jesus. And you say, well, wait a minute, Jesus hadn't died yet. Okay, that's a human problem. With God, God sees the beginning and the end as clearly as the present. And so, for instance, in the New Testament, when Jesus starts talking about Abraham, Abraham talk, or Jesus talks about Abraham as though he is what? He's alive, he's still alive. That's because his perspective is different from our perspective. Ours is very much linear, and his is all-encompassing. So, we come to the book of Leviticus, and we are impressed with what is the essence of the book, the holiness. Now, when you read through this book, or as you are going through this book, you're going to notice some key words that are found. And I want to note with you, if you haven't 
and maybe you do this when you look at a book, but did you check out how many chapters are in this book? 27 chapters, okay? Goes through chapter 27, verse 34. There are 27 chapters in this book, but for instance, let's look at a few words that are pretty significant. One of those words is the word holiness. You already knew that was important, right? In the book of these 27 chapters, the word holiness or a word akin to holiness, like just simply holy, that word is used at least 87 different times in those 27 chapters. You say, that's a lot. The word blood, which becomes one of those accommodative instruments through which holiness, at least in the eyes of God, is, is attained, accommodated. That word blood is used 89 times. Now, if I'm looking at, at the book, I, I might stand back from those two terms and say, that makes sense. Because this is a book being about the holiness of God and perfecting or setting apart things is going to require blood. So, hey, I get it. Uh, 80 sometimes, that's a, wow, that, that is a lot. That's over four times per chapter. That, that's a ton. Except that the word sin is used 194 times. Now put that in perspective. Is sin a problem? Sin is a major, major problem. There is more emphasis placed upon the seriousness of sin than actually is being placed upon how you deal with that sin. It's just like the place is flooding over with sin. Now, you know a little bit about the history of Israel. Did they have a sin problem? They sure did. So here is God setting forth instructions about how you're going to try to stem this flood of transgression and turning your back on God and the sin issue that existed with those people. Okay, so you come along and you're like, all right, not only is that verse the essence verse, Chapter 11, verse 45. But there are also some other key verses in this book. And again, if you like to jot down or make marks in your Bible for future reference, I'll give them to you. And we're going to, uh, I'm going to give them, you quickly turn to them and we'll read them together. Um, the first of these is Leviticus chapter 10 and verse 10. Leviticus 10 and verse 10. Who would read that text for us? Quickly now! Okay, listen to that. You've got to make a distinction. You can't, you can't be mingling up things that are holy with the unholy. The clean with the unclean. You might do that with one another, like in their dealings with one another, you know, they're trading and so forth. Oh, here, here's some lumber. Boy, this looks good. Ah, this, this isn't too good. I just kind of, listen, just, just to demonstrate our good relationship, I'm not even going to charge you for this board. I know it's got some knots and some cracks in it. Maybe you can saw it up and use it for something else. I'm just going to throw that in there. You know what God would say about that for his purposes? You forget it. Don't you even come near me with that knotted up, cracked up piece of board. I want perfection. 
God is, God is not like that. God is not the one that people say, well, if I like it, if it's meaningful to me, I know God will like it. Listen, that is not the measure. The measure of what God likes, of what God approves, of what God considers to be holy and clean is himself. There is no other measure. I can't justify it. I can't put words in God's mouth because God has spoken it and that's it. And by the way, you notice that verse 10 here is following after one of the most shocking events of the scriptures. And that is the first two verses of Leviticus chapter 10, where Nadab and Abihu, who are the sons of Aaron, died because they offered strange or the newer translations have the word profane fire before the Lord. Did God care if that fire was the exact fire? I mean, fire's fire, right? Fire is not fire. Fire that God designates is holy fire. You say, well, what's the difference between that fire and that fire? I guess substantially nothing. But when God says this is holy and this isn't, that's the difference. You say, well, there are all kinds of things in that tabernacle. They had lavers. You know, people use lavers in their own homes. They had tables. You know, people use tables in their own homes. The, the tabernacle was a tent and people went around in tents. But that tabernacle tent, that tabernacle label, those tabernacle tables were not the same as other tables. You say, well, they're made out of the same material, same stuff. No, no, no. The difference is that God recognized that one as holy and that one is not holy. And if you tried to substitute them, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. I, I understand this is, this is from the Talmud. You remember the, the kind of the, the additional information, the history of the Jews, traditions and legends and so forth. But one of the, one of the thoughts was that uh, back in the day, you, you weren't quite sure about some of these high priests, you know. They might be holy and upright, and they might not. Some of them were, were terrible. And so when the high priest, on his one day of the year, went into the Holy of Holies, it is said that they tied a rope around his foot. You know why they tied a rope around his foot? <laughs> because that guy might go in there profane and kindle the anger of God. And what does God do to people like that? He brings down fire from heaven, so I'm not, not sure what good the rope would have done, but the idea is we'll pull his remains out. Eee, right? Ugh, not good. So God is serious about that. Another text is chapter 17 and verse 11. So just flip a few pages over and someone read that. Leviticus 17 verse 11. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. Okay, look at that. The life of the flesh is where? It's in the blood. The life is in the blood. The life-giving blood. And he says the blood will do what? It will make, it make atonement for you. Okay, here's atonement. You are separated from God because of that very prominent word in the book of Leviticus. Because of sin. If you want to be brought back into relationship with an angry God who wants to kill you because of your sin, he can't have anything to do with you, but you're trying to approach him, you better have some 
atonement. Or look at this. This is great about the English word, at one In other words, I want to be at one with God. So in order to be at one with God, something has to satisfy the wrath of God. And temporarily so were all of these sacrifices. And I mentioned to you last time that it is said, again, history, uh, legend, uh, just kind of word of mouth, that at the time, especially the yearly sacrifice, the Day of Atonement, that the blood was ankle deep because so many sacrifices had to be made. Unbelievable. Now, this book is also a book of atonement. So that was a pretty good, well, wait, I had another verse, right? I want to throw out chapter 19 and verse 2. That's another one that you could mark. Chapter 19, verse 2. Maybe the same opening, I don't know. Okay, again, a restatement of our essence text, chapter 11, verse uh, 45, but same idea. In every, in every situation, God is reminding, wait a minute, you're going to do this the way I say, because if you want to approach me, you have to be holy. You have to be holy. You want to mark those in your Bible, those would be pretty good. Okay, so we were talking about a segue, talking about atonement. To have atonement bring something between God and sinful man, there had to be, there had to be something brought in, uh, something, something to make it right. And actually in this book, there are five different offerings, five different types of offerings that are listed that are the mechanism, the accommodation of God to bring back a relationship. Once wrong has been done, to bring the two back together. You'll recognize some of these, but maybe you haven't heard them all in a list before. And very quickly, I'm just going to give you what it is and then kind of the purpose for it. Not going into a lot of detail. I just want you to know this book is all about purification, of making us pure, getting us, getting them right in order to have access to God. One of those was the very famous burnt offering. The burnt offering was for the purpose of dedication. We are dedicating ourselves to God. When they dedicated themselves, said, Lord, we've, we've done wrong. We're sorry. Now we're going to do right. They'd offer a burnt offering for that purpose. That was kind of the procedure of that. There was also, maybe you've heard of this. This isn't as popular, I guess, but you'll find it all through the scriptures. Is either the meat or the meal Offering. Now, meal referred to grain. So either it was a meat, a flesh offering, or a meal, a grain offering. It was not a blood type sacrifice. It was the offering of, of the thing as kind of like a, a food source. And what you are offering is thanks to God. God, we, we are thankful to you for the provision of things. Then there was the peace offering. And the peace offering is exactly what you think it would be. It has to do with developing peace or fellowship with God. We're offering in order to bring about peace in our relationship. There was also the sin offering, and this has a special caveat, and I don't want you to miss this. It was for the acknowledgement of sin. 
the acknowledgement of sin. Now you know from Hebrews 10 verse 4 that the blood of bulls and goats cannot what? Okay, that, that's not going to work. But God, again, as he's receiving these sacrifices, he has an eye on another event that for him is happening at that very moment. And that is the death of the Lamb of God, right? The Lamb of God, Jesus. So I say it's provisional or it's appropriating what Christ does for a temporary respite or atonement for sin. But this thing, anybody know, had to happen how often? Every, every year, annually. It never satisfied. Sin was continually pressed upon the mind of people. No matter what we do, we're constantly offering up these sacrifices. Okay? And then there's finally the trespass offering. Well, that's a kind of a unique sacrifice because the trespass offering had to do with our relationship. Now, you know from studying books like 1 John that our relationship, brotherly love, is important. Yes, if you want to have a relationship with God, you better have a good, loving relationship with your brother and sister. Okay, this trespass offering was an offering to make atonement or to make amends for a breach or a break in a relationship between two people. I think... and. It just dawned on me as I was studying this that in Jesus' Sermon on the Mountain, in Matthew chapter 5 at verses 23 and 24, I don't know, it just kind of dawned on me as I was thinking about these offerings. Jesus said, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. I think that has to do, in some respects, with this. Although, as with everything else, Jesus takes it from here and he goes where? Way up here. Okay, so typically, I say, eh, I know, Marilyn, I'm just going to use you as an example. I know that it's not like this. Marilyn and I were just great friends. But Marilyn, if Marilyn had something against me, I've trespassed against her. I've done some. I haven't. No, I haven't. But if I've trespassed against her right, and she's mad at me, I can just, you know, I'm not going to mess with her because I'm afraid maybe we'll get in a fight or something. So I'm just going to sneak over here and give my trespass offering, and then I'm off the hook. I'm good. Jesus says, uh, no, mm -mm, not with me, you're not. If you come to offer your gift and then you remember that your brother, your sister has something against you, you've trespassed them, what's he say you got to do? Don't just throw in an offering and on your, you go make it right. Because Jesus is all about doing what with our relationships? Fix it. You know, fix, go the, you've heard this before. Jesus said it, go the extra mile. Do the extra work. Take it upon, demonstrate love for that person. Go do your very best to get this situation right so that you can be right with whom? So that you can be right with God. Yes, Mickey. Uh, yes, yes. Thank you, yes. Yeah, you know, uh, if you were sitting back there thinking, well, I don't apply to any... No, that's, that is us dealing with people. Yes, thank you, Mickey. That got my conscience over there. But that's, that's exactly right. So, look, we're, we're not sailing through life 
just bumping into people and, and uh, making our way to heaven and we don't care. No, we care, desperately so, because our, our relationship is, with God is going to depend uh, very much on our relationship with other people. We, we just got we to gotta, we gotta treat people right. And again, constantly reminded, you be holy. Here's the reason that you're going to go this extra mile and you're going to do right, because God is, because God is holy. So if I want to be with him, I'm going to have to learn how to be with other people. Okay, those are, those are kind of things. Now, I also wanted to mention that when you're reading through this book, and maybe you've already noticed it, because this is a cycle that happens all the time. I'm going to say that it is, it is the process. There is a process that's laid out here in the book of Leviticus that is the very self-same process that we are striving for today when it comes to sin. Okay? It's a threefold process. The first thing that we're going to do in dealing with sin that they did is we're going to purge the sin. In other words, if you're sinning, do what? Stop it. <laughs> stop it. If you are sinning, stop it. Okay? And then, number two, we are going to purify ourselves. Now, that came lots of different ways. Sometimes they could wash with water and wait a prescribed number of days. Sometimes, sometimes as we already said, purification can come through an offering. But some way, you are going to have to purify yourself. You've sinned, stop it. And now you've got to be purified because that sin leaves a... Leaves, don't we sing about the stain, the crimson stain, whatever? So we've got to stain, got to purify ourselves. And then this, and I love this part. It is protect the community. You're saying, wait, what? Protect the community? Yeah. You be sure that you stop your sin and you receive forgiveness of that sin. And then you be sure that your sin does not affect other people and become a serious runaway problem with sin. That... You read that continually here through the book of Leviticus. Maybe you've noticed it. But in the New Testament, it's, it's exactly the same process. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Okay, this will be a chunk, so I want a, a strong reader. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, please read the first eight verses of that text. First Corinthians chapter 5, the first eight verses. Yes. yes. Go it ahead, Rick. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you. Stop. Fornication is sin. sin. It's reported as sin. Keep going. And such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife. And ye are puffed up, and have not rather mourned, that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among them. we got to take him away. This sin that you're accepting, that's got to be what? It has got to be, starts with a P, as all of them did. <laughs> purged. It's got to be purged. Okay, keep going, Rick. For I verily, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together in my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such an, 
such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. What will happen? We're going to purge so that this person can be purified. Purified. We want them saved in the end. Keep reading. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Stop right there. This is sin. If this sin isn't dealt with, if it isn't purged out and this situation purified, what's going to happen? It's going to spread and affect. You have got to protect. You've got to protect the community. Keep reading. Go ahead and finish. Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our for even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Okay, I like how he kind of, he mixes all these metaphors together. <laughs> Paul's pretty good about doing that. But then he, then he gets off on, you know, the the atoning sacrifice and the sacrifice of Jesus and he's our Passover and boy, you know, get this right because the only way to get it right is the same, the same process that's always been in place. You've got to stop the sin, purge that sin. You've got to purify yourself, get right and get rid of that sin. And then you've got to protect everybody else because that little, that little leaven can, has the potential to leaven the entire lump. What happened then is the same. The reason is because all that was foreshadowing what? This. Foreshadowing this. They were learning about this way back, way back there. Okay, so I also want to uh, talk a little bit about the purpose of this book. Now, as with the others, we're just breaking it down the same way. There is a historical purpose there is a doctrinal or spiritual purpose, and then there's a Christological purpose. The doctrinal or the historical purpose is when you look at the book and you ask the question, well, historically, why was this book written? I mean, why would the Israelites need this book? And it basically comes down to two things. In fact, you can divide this book up in two different sections. The first section goes from chapter 1, verse 1 to chapter 10 and verse 20. That first section has to do with the way that you approach a holy God. Okay, so it's kind of, kind of I want to say it's kind of fun, but it wasn't fun for those guys. It's fun to read it as it happens. But by the time you get to chapter 10, you've got a great example of somebody who didn't do that. Okay, so you're prepared. Here's how you do it. At the very end, it's like if you don't do it, you'll end up like Nadab and Abihu. Powerful. You approach a holy God, you had better yourself be holy or the provisions of holiness. You understand. And then the second section that begins at chapter 11, verse 1, it goes through chapter 27, verse 34, has to do with the day-to-day -day activity. How I live in the presence of or under the oversight of a holy God. Which means then... Okay, now watch this. Not only when I approach God do I need to be holy, but I need to live holy as well. Seems to me that's pretty good application in that I don't just dress up and look nice when I come to Sunday morning worship. 
worship God, have everybody thinking I'm all that, and then live worldly the rest of the week. God is involved with us, uh, well, how, how much of the time? All of the time. All of the time. So it says, oh, preacher's here, we better straighten up. Well, let me tell you something. Jesus was here before the preacher got here, right? So God is watching over. <laughs> Did, when you were a little kid, and I haven't heard this song, this song sung in a long time, but there used to be a song called God's All-Seeing Eye is Watching You. <laughs> As a child, can you imagine the terror that you must have felt when you heard that? You're like, ooh. In fact, in my memory, and I'm pretty sure that it was my dad that did this, but I, we used to live in a house trailer, and I remember I was in the bathroom doing something, being mischievous, just a little kid. It's one of my earliest memories. But I remember looking up at, there was a window kind of in that bathroom, looking up and seeing this angry face. And for the longest time, I thought that was God's angry face looking at me. Boy, I straightened up. But I remember now, years later, my dad rushed in a little bit after that. So either that was God telling dad that happened, or that was dad who saw it. Nevertheless, God's all-seeing eye is watching you. There isn't anything hidden from his sight. So God is watching. And all of that is historically for Israel, reminding them, God's there, God's holy. You better be holy, not just approaching him, but always. And then the second part, the, the doctrinal or the spiritual um, aspect is that, okay, it breaks down kind of parallel to that. And we're going to do it according to our essence verse, right? So the first part of the book, uh, chapter 1, verse 1 through chapter 10, verse 20 God is holy. That's the doctrine. That's the scriptural purpose. Remember this in this first section of this book. God is holy. And then from chapter 11, verse 1, through chapter 27, verse 34, you be holy. Okay? That's simple to remember, isn't it? First part, God is holy. Second part, you be holy. All right, we're going to stop here. And next week, we'll look at the Christological, Christ-centered purpose. And then I want to share with you some things out of the book that are pretty spectacular. And then we'll move on to the book of Numbers. Okay? Nod your head, because that's what we're going to do. <laughs> okay. Uh, we like to end our service, our Bible classes, uh, on Sunday with two things. Number one, you know, maybe you've been thinking today about your relationship with the Lord and you're not feeling good about it. You need prayers of the church. Uh, you need encouragement, whatnot. We want to give that opportunity. Uh, in the assembly here tonight, we, how many elders do we have? Okay, here's Jim over here. Um, there's Buster back there. Oh, look, there's Tommy there. If you would like to speak with one of our elders, they are like the uh, Levites. They're interspersed throughout the whole building. So if you would spend some time with them, they would love to pray with you, uh, myself included. Uh, maybe someone's been studying with you. You've come to believe the truth about Jesus. You want to obey the gospel tonight. That's an emergency. That needs to be taken care of. We don't know when the Lord will return. So if you need to obey the gospel, 
We also make that available to you. We're going to have a prayer and dismiss everyone, but if you'd like to make your way to one of the elders or myself, uh, we will take whatever time is necessary uh, to talk with you and pray with you and whatnot. Also, if there's someone here that was not here this morning that would like to partake of the Lord's Supper, that will be uh, for you in the chapel. So if you'll go back to the chapel, there'll be a, a service there uh, to emphasize the Lord's Supper. Okay? Thank you so much for being here tonight. It's a pleasure. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing you again Wednesday evening, Lord willing. Or if not, we'll see you in heaven. Wouldn't that be great? Now you had this way. Yeah, amazing. All right, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you so much for the blessings of this day, for your watch care over us. Thank you for all these opportunities to study your word and learn more about you. And Lord, help us to handle your word aright. Help it to be so instructional to us, but with the goal of making a profound difference in our life. Thank you, Lord, that we just have the the privilege to do so, the freedom to be able to assemble. And Lord, we ask that you'll bless those that have been identified as being sick or infirmed in some way. We pray that you'll bless us as we leave this place and keep us safe on the road. And if you'll grant us a new day, Lord, just load us up with opportunities and motivate us to take hold of them to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.